Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. Wherever you are, we are glad that you are along for the ride this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, that number, you might just want to save it in your phone if you haven't ever done that, 601-879-4395. It's the best way for you to get in touch with us. Ceasefire, customer inspired. Busy afternoon coming up. You had the first two rounds of the Major League Draft. It was about the first eh, 75 or so picks last night. And uh, pretty good representation from the state of Mississippi. Draft has uh, continued today, and let's see, I had the draft tracker up uh, a little while ago. They are currently in the sixth round, I think. It, it moves pretty quickly once you get into day two. It's a little bit different than the uh, the NFL draft, uh, certainly. Uh, as you get deeper into the uh, draft, it goes uh, a whole lot faster. So sixth round, seventh round, and you got a bunch of guys that have been taken today from the state of Mississippi. They're actually into the seventh round, uh, currently on pick number 202. So we'll get to a bunch of that coming up this afternoon. Uh, the Southeastern Conference and the Pac-12 are the two leagues that have dominated kind of the early part of the draft. And newsflash, this is not breaking news but the draft is changing, and it's changing a little bit more every year, and you've got more and more college guys who are getting drafted early than really you've had at any point in history uh, going back a really long time. So uh, it's kind of cool to watch it. Uh, the guys that you're watching for two, three, sometimes four years in college are getting drafted, and uh, they seem to be ready uh, for Major League Baseball a little bit faster than some of the uh, the guys, with some exceptions, that are coming out of high school. Borky, what's up on a Tuesday? Uh, not a whole lot's up on a Tuesday. Trying to keep up with the baseball draft. I mean, trying to keep up with the NFL draft in like the fourth round is difficult, and they still have a good few minutes in between each pick. This is miserable, trying to follow everything along. Yeah, it's kind of like rapid-fire stuff. I mean, it's boom, 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 boom. Rippy, I do kind you're of shaking respect your head. it, though. Trying to kind of keep up with it as go, it's not easy, right? Yeah, it's 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 not never really that fun. Yeah, Zach Hess just went with the 202nd pick overall, Detroit Tigers organization out of LSU, and uh, he's going to sign for oh somewhere in the 225 thousand dollar range. Hey, Dad, how are you? Doing good. Great to be with you guys today. Yeah, good to be with you. Maybe the the big story. Uh, I, well, I don't know if it's fair to call it the big story or not, because you do have a first-rounder out of Mississippi State and Ethan Small, 
Uh, there are two examples of coming back to school paying off and the rare example of coming back for your senior year paying off in a big way for Mississippi State. Ethan Small was drafted a year ago. He was draft eligible, but it wasn't in a spot where he was really going to make any money. It was the proverbial, uh, you know, uh, 2500 bucks in a bus, bus ticket. So he comes back, has a dominant season, SEC pitcher of the year, and now he's a first-round draft pick. And and like you said, you know, it, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes you you take the risk of coming back, and, 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 and you know you end up you know in worse shape than you were. But for Ethan Small, exactly the opposite has a monster year, and that's sort of that's what happened with Brent Rooker a few years ago as well. And of course, you know, sort of similar. You know, I don't I don't know how to to quanti- I don't think there's a triple crown in the uh, future for Ethan Small as far as pitching goes. But you know, a guy who took you. Know, Came back and then had a monster junior season and 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 reaped the rewards of, of a first round draft choice and I think Small going to you know Milwaukee. There's another bulldog up there on the staff and Brandon Woodruff and uh, right Brandon Woodruff. I'm sorry, I don't know where the extra D came from. Uh, and so yeah, good spot for him and uh, we'll see how he uh, how his career progresses. And, and it kind of makes sense with Ethan Small. So draft eligible a year ago, but where was he? Where was he picked last year? Oh, it was in the twenties. Like the 28th round or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. It, it may not be exactly that, but it was in the 20th round. You know, no slot value there. And so you're just kind of negotiating for whatever you can get. But the other piece of that is he's now a year farther removed from Tommy John. And he's shown that there's no effect on that. It hasn't affected his ability to pitch. Maybe he's lost a little bit of velocity, which is not always the case. Sometimes guys pick up a little bit of velocity when they come back. But he has become a much more complete pitcher, and he's done it against the best you know, college players in the country, and as a result, drafted 28th overall. So he's a late first-round pick, and the slot value for the pick that Ethan Small went in is $2.49 million. Life-changing money and a great jump start on his career. It's really cool. Yeah, I could be wrong. Wasn't Ginn the 28th pick a year ago? So that's some interesting, I guess, you know, if the word serendipity is right uh, for, for that. He, he was 28th or 29th, so he's in that same sort of slot. Obviously a huge difference in, in you know, le- leverage and bargaining and things of that nature, but just sort of something uh, that caught my eye. Um, also, Jake Mangum goes in the fourth round. Uh, he is the 118th pick overall, goes to the New York Mets, and uh, – this is a guy that was drafted in the 30s last year after yeah. his junior season? Yeah, the 32nd round, I believe. And uh, it's sort of the opposite there. You know, normally you think about a guy coming back for the uh, the last year, and, and very rarely do you see a, a big jump like that. Now, he, I don't know what he has in terms of bargaining, obviously. My guess is he'll sign for under the slot value because he's got nowhere else to go. But to jump up to the fourth round like that, that that's pretty impressive and just – it makes you think that maybe last year he, he might have been a little more adamant with teams than we know that, hey, I, I'm going to come back for my last year at Mississippi State, and, and that made him a little less attractive to draft because he had a great year, don't, don't get me wrong, but it's not like he became a 450 hitter and added a bunch of power to his game. He's the same guy he was the past four years, but good for him. And uh, I, I know you hate it that he's a Met and not a Yankee, Richard. Well, yeah, but better a Met than a Red Sox. Uh, absolutely. Or a member of the Red Sox. So, or slot the Tampa Bay Rays, as you've weaponized them against me. Yeah, well. 
You go to Tampa Bay, you just go play and show that you're good for four years and then go play for the Yankees. Yeah, or make a World Series. Uh, yeah, that seems to happen every now and then as well. So Mangum goes at 118. Slot value for that pick is $487,900. So, Rippy, you follow this pretty closely. It will go under the slot. It sucks for seniors. Ryan Olenek has a chance, I guess, potentially to be the same way. When you have no leverage, you're going to sign for probably well under the slot, and that's part of the reason why teams do that with seniors. So, Well, I was going to ask you this. With Jake Mangum, assuming he signs for under slot value, is that something where the Mets say to him, hey, we want you? and we want to sign you, will you sign for X dollars? Like, they've already maybe even had the conversation of, look, 305000 is what we're willing to pay you. We want you. We will take you in the fourth round, but we're not going to pay you half a million dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much how it goes a lot of the time because, like, hey, Dad put it, I guess, the best way is where else she going to go. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's unfortunate. I, it, it sucks being that way, but it's just kind of part of being a senior in the MLB draft. But I mean, at the same time, he got drafted in the fourth round of the Major League Baseball draft. Like, not not bad at all. Like, no, and and it's still going to be good money. And it's still, in comparison to where he was a year ago, it's real money. Whereas a year ago, you get drafted in the 30s. I mean, it's it's nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, top five round guy, no matter the circumstance, whatever. You got a shot to get up there. Adley Rutschman was the number one overall pick, the catcher out of Oregon State. Slot value there is $8.42 million. The second pick was a high school guy and one that was highly thought of. Bobby Witt Jr. out of Colleyville in uh, in Texas, uh, $7.8 million the slot value from them. Then you get into some, uh, some college guys, a bunch of them. Andrew Vaughn from Cal went third overall. J.J. Bleday from Vanderbilt went fourth overall. And it makes us think that... Uh, that trip from the uh, the Marlins brass, including Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada, was not just window dressing at the SEC tournament. They may have already made their minds up about J.J. Bleday if he was on the board and available when they got there, but seeing him go 5-for-5 five five in the SEC tournament when all of the guys from the, uh, uh, the Marlins were there to watch him, not a bad way to kind of secure your position and uh, not leave them with any questions. Uh, it's kind of like performing when you um, when you think it's uh, you got a bunch of stuff on the line. You know, hey, Dad, save your best for when uh, when Jeter's in the house, right? Absolutely, man. If Jeets is in the house, you've got to deliver at that point. And Bladé did exactly that. Just call him Jeets. Jeets. Like killer boys. That's my that's my that's my dog, man. Yeah. Um, Nick Lodolo was the first pitcher that was taken, a left-hander out of TCU. That was with the seventh pick overall. Uh, there were not a lot of pitchers early in this draft. The second pitcher taken was Alex Manoa out of West Virginia with the uh, the 11th pick. Uh, but it was a, a pretty heavy position player early draft. Uh, Zach Thompson from Kentucky went number 19 to St. Louis. Uh, so some Cardinals fans may be excited about that one. Uh, big, strong, left-handed pitcher. Braden Shoemake from Texas A&M goes to the Braves at pick number 21. Just getting started with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Talking about cool draft stories, here's one for you. Um, competitive balance pick, which is also sometimes referred to as a sandwich round pick, but generally speaking still referred to as a first round 
draft pick. Matt Walner out of Southern Miss. The outfielder who has pitched some in his career. To me, this is so neat. If you don't remember the story, Matt Walner originally committed to the University of North Dakota out of high school. He's from Minnesota. But the Fighting Hawks disbanded their baseball program. Shut the whole thing down. Um, Scott Barry had a connection to a coach in Minnesota, or maybe it was in North Dakota, and he found out about Matt Walker. When a program shuts down, you're like, ooh, they got a pitcher? They don't have a left-handed specialty arm that we can get. Well, there may have been a couple of guys, but they had already gone elsewhere. But he was tipped off on this guy, Matt Walner. And they brought him to Hattiesburg, and they fell in love with him, and Walner committed to Southern Miss. And he's drafted with the 39th pick. He's a first-round pick. Slot value of $1.91 million. And he's drafted by the Minnesota Twins. It's the team that he grew up watching. Now, I don't know if he was a Twins fan or not. But if you grow up in the state of Mississippi, uh, the state of Minnesota, and you're a baseball fan, my guess is you probably follow the Twins. Now, again, it's not exclusive. There are people that live in Atlanta that aren't Braves fans. There are even people that live in St. Louis that aren't Cardinals fans. But the majority of people that live in Missouri or Arkansas are Cardinals fans. I think it's pretty neat to get basically drafted by your hometown team, your home state team in the first round after you've had a little bit of a winding career. And Matt Walner, boy, he has capped this junior season off with a flurry. A uh, little bit of a slow start this year. Never figured into pitching like they thought he was going to. But by the time it was all said and done, a great junior season for Matt Walner. Congratulations to him on being drafted as well. A couple of years from now, we could see Brent Rooker and Matt Walner mashing in Minnesota together. How about that? Ole Miss guys that have been drafted at this point, Gray Kessinger went in the second round with the 68th pick to the Houston Astros. Will Etheridge, second consecutive year that the Colorado Rockies have taken an Ole Miss pitcher. He was taking 159 overall. That was in the fifth round. Thomas Dillard, fifth round, 163 overall, drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers organization. And then Cooper Johnson, the catcher from Illinois, uh, taken in the sixth round, pick number 172 by the Detroit Tigers. Any of those picks surprise you? Feel like they're probably the right spots? Um, You know, I thought Dillard and Johnson both had a chance to go at the end of the first day. Uh, I guess I think Cooper Johnson, I would probably say, slipped a little further than I thought. But, I mean, two to six round range, that, I guess that's, you know, not the same, but I, it was kind of in the ballpark of what I thought. Um, Will Etheridge going before Cooper Johnson was maybe a little bit surprising to me, but I mean, it's a guy with, I mean, you're probably drafting him because he has a high, like, spin rate on his fastball, and then, you know, he's got a de- good, good couple secondary pitches, but you probably hope to build one of those into an elite type pitch. So good for him, top five rounds. Um, so and he's no, kind of, he's kind of got a prototypical big league pitcher body also at 6'5, 240. He does. And, so, no, um, I thought it was interesting that Dillard was announced as a catcher. I wonder if that sticks huh. and kind of what they try to do with him. I think that probably makes a little more sense than him playing a corner outfield slot. I, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Other than that, no surprises, but good for Kessinger. I know that was probably 
Like, if you're thinking you might go the first day and you don't know, that's probably a long evening, not to mention he gets announced at 11 p.m. at night. Uh, Mike Bianco and Cole Zabowski were asleep when it happened. Found that out today. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, I don't think Mike was particularly fired up about me asking if he stayed up for it or not. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so no, no, not a ton of surprises other than maybe a couple minor things. Um. Slot value for Gray Kessinger, 953000 For Will Etheridge, 327 For Thomas Dillard, 315 And for Cooper Johnson, 291 Because all four of those guys have got a year left of college, they've got a little bit of leverage, probably end up signing for close to slot value in those spots? Yes, I would be fairly surprised if all, all of them did not sign for close to slot value. Other draft-eligible players for Ole Miss... Um, Jacob Adams, Parker Caracy, Greer Holston, Austin Miller, Tyler Myers, Ryan Olenek, Zach Phillips, Houston Roth, and Cole Zabowski. So we'll see where those guys end up going. Probably there's a chance Zabowski goes towards the end of today. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, like I could see Phillips maybe taking a day three contract and going because, you know, he throws 91 with his left hand and he breathes. So... I'm trying to think. I mean, maybe Crazy, but I, I tend to think both of those guys are back next year, Phillips and Crazy. Other than that, that's probably about it. Hey, Dad, only two so far from Mississippi State. Ethan Small, first round, number 28 overall. Jake Mangum, 118 overall in the fourth round. Uh, we talked about slot value for those guys, $2.49 million for Ethan Small. Jake Mangum at, um, uh, oh, goodness, my page just refreshed. That's how fast this draft thing goes, is every time you start looking at something, it refreshes. Uh, 488,000. A bunch of draft-eligible guys, though, for Mississippi State. Luke yeah, you Alexander. Missed you missed one, actually. Uh, with the 188 pick, sixth round, uh, Tampa Bay took Colby White. Okay. So that uh, just happened a few minutes ago, right? Yeah, it happened before yeah. the show started. Just, just before the show started. Well, it just hasn't refreshed on the list that I was looking at yet. Okay, so Colby um, White has been taken as well. So here are the guys that are available, that are draft eligible for Mississippi State. Luke Alexander, Tanner Allen, Tristan Barlow, Jack Egan, John Elkins, Marshall Gilbert, Cole Gordon, Gunnar Halter, Keegan James, Jared Liebelt, Elijah McNamee, Peyton Plumley, Spencer Price, Riley Self, Dustin Skelton, Tyler Spring, and then Colby White, who was just drafted as well. Of those guys... Who do you expect to uh, to ultimately go? Most of them, to be totally honest with you. Um, okay. I mean, yeah, you got some seniors in there, obviously. Gilbert, Lee Belt. Um, Alexander. Ale- well, Alexander didn't even play this year. I mean, my goodness. That's right. Uh, He's just on that. He ended up as like a, an assistant coach almost, right? He was like a undergraduate assistant this year. He's fine. He got his degree uh, this spring. Okay. Um, the guy that I – the only guy on that list that I, I hear his name, I think, okay, there's a good chance we'll be back. Gunnar Halter. Uh, just because I, I think he has an opportunity to play a good bit next year, maybe bump himself up a little bit. Uh, because I think right now, if you had to ask me, and you know, it's just a, it's a way too early projection, but he's got a good chance to be the starting third baseman uh, next season with, with Gilbert out, uh, and he showed some 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 flashes with the bat this year. I think he's very good in the field, so I wouldn't be completely surprised if he returned. But almost everybody else in that list, one way or the other, I don't expect them back in Starkville next year. So in a lot of ways, the the makeup of Mississippi State's team and the makeup of Ole Miss's team next year is going to be vastly different from what these teams look like this year. Well, for State, you know, you look at ahead to next season, and you, you still got that core group of, of the guys that are sophomores now will be juniors next year: Tanner Allen, 
Rowdy Jordan, uh, Jordan. Well, but Tanner Westbrook. Allen's draft eligible, isn't he? He is draft eligible, but there's no indication he's going to go. Okay. And then uh, the one who did I leave off, Justin Foscue. Uh, you'll sure. have uh, probably Luke Hancock or Hayden Jones behind the plate. Uh, in the outfield, we already mentioned Jordan. Brad Cumbus will probably find a spot out there. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with Halter. We'll see what happens with a couple other guys. And then it's just about, you know, JT Ginn will be your Friday night guy a season from now. And, uh, you know, probably Brandon Smith and Eric Sarantola figuring into the rotation of these. They'll get a shot early. Sarantola is you know, that big six foot five, six foot six right hander who can throw 95, 96. They're going to give him an opportunity based off of that. We'll see where it goes. So uh, the biggest difference for State next year is Mangum. You know, that's he's been the face of the program now for four years. So it'll be really interesting, or not interesting, but it'll be unusual when the, that first at bat happens and you don't hear the outfield. I, I don't know how fans are going to react to that. <laughs> so no Mangum, no number one starter in Ethan Small, and you hope you have gotten back to a healthy JT again. Should be the case, yeah. I, I imagine so. Yep. All right. So uh, we'll try to kind of keep you up to date again it happens quickly and obviously it's easy to miss guys uh, but as they're drafted we'll try to update you throughout the uh, course of the show this afternoon uh, there is one significant player who has not gotten drafted and looks like is headed to school to play football and that's Jerry and Ely um, all indications at this point he's going to play football at Ole Miss Rippy and it sounds like baseball as ESPN reported really yes Okay, which kind of goes against what you thought yesterday. It was completely. I figured he might sign later around to take you know X amount of money work out in the spring. So interesting. It is interesting. Definitely not what you thought probably three four months ago. No, no, not at all. And it just senior season didn't go as well on the diamond as folks had expected. Numbers slipped. Draft stock tumbled a bit. Yep. Uh, so we'll talk some about that. We'll get super regional matchups. We'll take a look at the opponents, our kind of first glance at the opponents. Stanford for Mississippi State and Arkansas for Ole Miss. Jake Gotro will join us later this afternoon as well. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. The whole crew on this Wednesday, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, spinning records, making it all happen. He does a whole lot more than just spin records. Although I do, I still say we should get a turntable in the uh, in the DJ booth there, Borky. DJ Karate Kid. He's got a DJ Johnny. Yeah. Give me something to do. Spin yeah. hard, spin fast, no mercy. DJ Wax On, Wax Off. Strike hard, strike fast. Not spin hard. Oh, He's a DJ. I see Switcher. what you did there. Yeah. yeah, I see what you did there. It's, I it's see. painful. It's painful. Yeah, no, no, no. I just, uh, sorry. Now we're off and running. I needed to say it out loud to realize how um, <laughs> I messed it up. Like your call sign could be, put him in a body bag. Exactly. Uh, regional days and times have been announced, and I'm sure people are upset. Because why wouldn't people be upset? I mean, you could play at 7 o'clock, and it would be, yeah, it's not exactly right. You play at noon, it's too early. You play at 8, it's too late. You play at 3, the sun's out, and you might deal with shadows. Anytime you play this weekend, you're probably going to be dealing. Why, why are people complaining about start times? I know someone who's happy. Who? 
Your boy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Daytime games rule. Four games. I four get series it, though. I, I, on Fridays. It, you, you, you get what? Why people are upset? For, for two reasons. Sunday night at 8 o'clock is not doable for some people. I mean, the atmosphere will still be fine in Starfield. It'll still be good. But not everybody that goes to a Mississippi State game lives in the area. I've got Morgan, a new one. Let, let me explain something to you. Do you realize that in 2013, people sold their trailers to go watch Mississippi State play in Omaha in the middle of the week? I'm you aware. think 8 o'clock on a Sunday night is prohibitive man, and you're trying to get to Omaha? Well, a man's wife had his boyfriend sell her pr- his prosthetic leg. That was the so greatest troll there. job of all time. I hope that guy I know got that some guy. kind of plaque. He is hilarious. I hope he got a trophy. Um, But, like, so what the thing, like, if, you, if you're upset about Sunday night, then you can't be mad about Monday being in the day, right? Right. No, it I, it's, it's just it's just Sunday. And I mean, look, I'm not saying that people aren't going to go, but there there are people that will drive from Jackson and go to a baseball game that'll last three hours and get home at 2 o'clock when they have to wake their kids up to, well, I guess school's out, but they have to go to work the next day. It's just, yeah, I understand why people are upset about that. It kind of sucks having to play a game that could send you to Omaha on Sunday night at 8 o'clock. And on the flip side, even though I think Ole Miss got as good of a draw as they could ask for from a timing standpoint, because even though Bomb will be rocking, there is always a difference between a crowd at 11 a.m. versus a crowd at 7 p.m. There's a little less liquid courage in the morning. So they couldn't have asked for a better draw there, but... If that game goes to Monday, the game starts at 3 o'clock. So a, a game, a massive game that could send your team to Omaha, you'll have to watch secretly on your phone hoping your boss doesn't walk by to catch you not working. That just sucks. I mean, it's not the end of the world. People are still going to go and people are still going to watch, but Sunday at 8 really sucks. And then a, a game that could send your team to Omaha while you're filling out cover sheets and punching numbers on uh, – um, what is it, QuickBooks Pro, doing accounting with, with your phone up in the corner of your office checking the score every so often instead of being able to watch it like everybody else on, on regular television, not during a workday. I get why people are upset with those two things. Wouldn't be people be mad, though, if it was 8 o'clock on Monday night and since there's only, you know, I guess ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, if it gets, you know, bumped to... ESPN three, like people were mad about it not being on mainstream television. It's like there's only a select number of windows you can put these things in. If you look at the weather forecast for this weekend in Starkville, chances that they may get moved around anyway. They may be playing on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Hey Borky, was that a was that a big white puffy cloud or was it one of those kind of wispy ones that looks a little gray that you were yelling at? I just I, I get it. Is all I'm saying is I get it. <laughs> Three o'clock on a Monday is a really stupid time to have a game that could send a team to Omaha. It's just stupid. But the the Sorry. idea, okay, so people may be mad about it, but that doesn't mean they're not going, and it doesn't mean they're not watching. There were ten thousand people in Oxford and ten thousand people in Starkville on Sunday night for an eight o'clock first pitch for games that most people presumed both teams were going to win. Well, the casuals won't watch. Casual fans take Ole Miss out of the equation for 3 o'clock on Monday. Nobody's watching that baseball game. Okay, I guess my question is, what else would you do? Play it at 6.30. But there's only a certain... People would be mad it's not on mainstream television then. You want to have to watch on your phone? 
it's 2019. You can stream games on. I have a 65-inch television that I stream games on. It's not a problem anymore. Well, look at you. Yeah, but were people pretty mad on Sunday night that the games were at 8 o'clock and not on mainstream television or linear television, I whatever the official I'd... corporate term Richard look, used yesterday? Yeah, you, you're <laughs> watching all season on stream. Why, why is, you know? I understand that, but... Borky, for you, streaming a game, you don't even think twice about it. But I'm telling you, it's it's kind of like we think the entire world lives on Twitter. The majority of people that are out there still watch television through a service provider. Well, then how did what, they watch their team all season long? Well, most of them didn't. Most? Do you think most Ole Miss and State fans just didn't watch their team play? Um... Most over the age of forty, radio. I mean, yeah, some. I mean, yeah, I don't know. All I'm saying is, I get it. I get why three o'clock on a Monday sucks. Six thirty on a Monday is better. That's all I'm saying. Eight o'clock okay. on a Sunday sucks. Six o'clock on a Sunday is better. It's just better. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to show up, and it doesn't mean that the fans aren't going to watch. But it does take away the casuals. 3 o'clock on a Monday, if you want to grow the game, as they like to say, Bomb Stadium on a, a we'll winner. We'll have 11,000 people in it on at 3 o'clock on Monday. You're afternoon. missing what I'm saying. I'm talking about television. The casual fan that is not a fan of Arkansas or Ole Miss will not watch that game at 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon. Does the casual fan that's not a fan of Arkansas or Ole Miss care about college baseball? Um. The whole point is exposure, right? They talk about growing the I mean, game. I, I, you want I, I massive television numbers. You want college baseball to be something that generates revenue. Well, what generates revenue? It's not people going to the game. We've learned that. That's why basketball makes more money than baseball, because basketball is on television more. Less people go to basketball games in the state of Mississippi than baseball games. Fewer people, I should say, because you can actually quantify the number. The college baseball playing a super regional game at noon on a Friday and one that you're going to be calling Richard the, the casual sports fan is working at noon on a Friday Louisville but, almost but, always plays that early noon game and their ratings are massive but you got like you do have to concede that like if you bump one up to 630 one has to go down because I'm assuming these networks want as many of these games on mainstream linear television as possible instead of streaming it and that's why all, all of them are in this round so so here's the schedule East Carolina Louisville get started on Friday they will play these are all central times 11 on Friday two on Saturday and 11 on Sunday if necessary. Oklahoma State at Texas Tech, 2 o'clock on Friday, 5 o'clock on Saturday, 5 o'clock on Sunday. A pretty good times for that series, Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. Duke at Vanderbilt, 5 o'clock on Friday, 8 o'clock on Saturday night, 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Michigan at UCLA, West Coast games, West Coast time slots. Uh, so 8 o'clock Central, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's what, 6 o'clock on the West Coast for all three of those games. The games that are Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Ole Miss at Arkansas, game one, 11 o'clock on Saturday. Game two is at 2 o'clock on Sunday. And then game three, if necessary, is at 3 o'clock on Monday. Stanford at Mississippi State, 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon. That's pretty good. 8 o'clock Sunday night. Okay, some people don't like that. 6 o'clock Monday night. I feel like that's a pretty good draw for Mississippi State. You get the chance to have Saturday afternoon, 
Sunday night in primetime and Monday night early primetime if it goes to a third game. That's not a yeah. bad draw. A little late on Sunday, but it, it'll be all right. <laughs> but again, I mean, a little late in that it, maybe it's a little inconvenient, but if you, to Borky's point a second ago, you want a television audience? Eight o'clock on Sunday night, pretty darn good. Yeah, it, it'll be great. It, but that's what that's what I'm talking about: missing an opportunity to showcase one of your great stadiums and atmospheres, and a winner goes to Omaha game because you've got it on during a work day. That's what and, I don't understand that, about. But, this. but let's be honest. Okay, what's the big what series of the eight series? What's the sexiest of all eight to the casual fan? It's Florida State at LSU. 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon, 5 o'clock Sunday night, 7.30 Monday night. You can't have two series that are in good time slots? That's not possible? You could be Auburn, play at 11 on Saturday, 10.30 on Sunday morning, and noon on Monday if necessary. Auburn at North Carolina. I'll be Auburn. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Coming up about a half an hour from now, Jake Gotro will join us, assistant coach on the Mississippi State baseball team. Look forward to that conversation. Talked with Jake a couple of weeks ago, and he was a lot of fun to uh, visit with. Kind of. Uh, hey, Dad, I think we probably should ask him uh, what he did to uh, help Jake Mangum get out of his slump. I, I bet it was his words that got did more than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of laugh at the idea of, oh, he's in a slump. What are you going to do? Um, Ole Miss, pretty familiar with their super regional opponent, Arkansas. They've already played five times this year. And for that matter, you are probably pretty familiar with uh, Arkansas as well. little bit different story for Mississippi State's opponent in the super regional. Last night, Stanford beat Fresno State 9-7. to Um... So let's kind of uh, big picture get to know Stanford. Hey, Dad, what do we need to know about the Stanford Cardinal who were making their way east this weekend with a chance to get to Omaha? They've got some pop in that lineup as far as, as the batting order goes. Three guys in double-digit home runs. Brandon uh, Wolf with 19, Andrew Dashback with 17, Will Matheson with 12. So they've got some guys who can knock the ball out of the yard. Ooh. Uh-oh. Uh, uh oh, dashback sounds a lot like dollback. No, no, <laughs> don't do Just, that, man. It's like you in the same going. general neighborhood. And phonetically, very similar. Yeah, same general region of the country from which they hail. Yeah, eighty uh, eighty-seven home runs on the year uh, for Stanford, hitting two eighty-one as a team. So not a great batting average team, but they but they slug four eighty-six. So when they when they make contact. They're driving the ball to the outfield, and they're they're getting extra bases. Um, and then from a pitching standpoint, they look like they're you know pretty good. Uh, and they're, they're not an elite staff, and team ERA at three fifty one. Teams are hitting two forty six against them. If I just looking at it, and obviously I don't have it in front of me as far as you know an official thing, but it looks like their their weekend rotation is Eric Miller, Brendan Beck, and. Uh, Alex Williams, they're a combined, uh, you know, not not overly impressive. Beck is five and three on the year, three point two five ERA. WHIP is one point three three. All three of those guys WHIP are over one. Um, just just they, they're pretty good pitching staff. It looks like they're winning games by by 
by by putting a lot of runs on the board more than anything else. They're they're a good hitting team. How good are they defensively? Uh, let's see if I have that on the stats here. Oh yeah, they do fielding. Uh, they are fielding at a nine seventy seven clip okay. on the season. A total of forty seven errors through what almost seventy games now. So not bad. They're pretty good. Yeah, pretty solid. Pretty they don't they don't beat themselves. For the record, they threw a kid named Will Mathinson started in the second game regional uh, of the regional against Fresno. Looks okay. like. Yeah, it looks like he's a two-way player because, like I mentioned, he, he's he's their leading hitter at three twenty-two with twelve home runs and fifty-two RBI. But also on the year, he's six and two with a three point seven one ERA. Um, excited about this matchup. Um, well, I'm Is excited about to it. I think so because you know you've got. I mean, when you look at the 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 matchups in these regionals, so many of the uh, the lower seeds got through Duke. Michigan, Florida State, Auburn. So this is, you know, State and Ole Miss both got national seed matchups with their opponents. So there, there's some juice to it. These are two, these are two perennially pretty good programs. They're, they're not in the, I wouldn't say the elite because I think Stanford had had a national title back in the day. I think Black Jack McDowell was on that staff way back then. Um, but you know, they haven't recently haven't had that same kind of success. So yeah, I think there's something to it. Pac-12 SEC matchup; those have been the two best conferences all year, and uh, I think this is the only matchup that the, that the, uh, they they've got against each other. So something to look forward to. Uh, your TV crew for this: Dave Neal, Chris Burke, and Ben McDonald. It's not Tom Hart. He tweeted he was coming to Starkville. Yeah, it changed. Okay. Hey man, Dave Neal, college baseball, count me in. There you go. Richard showed up to their meeting late and just started ordering people around, switching games, switching lineups, <laughs> switching That's up. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, pretty fired up to get to do a super. It's uh, you first be, time. Man. I've, Congrats. Yeah, thanks. First time I've ever gotten to do that. So uh, I'll be in uh, in Louisville. Borky, are my start times okay or or no? Should I be? It's like we've got a. Uh, an eleven o'clock central game on Friday. I hope you have games that go till four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that start at eleven o'clock and go until four in the morning. Yeah, I, I want rain delays, lightning delays, maybe a cat runs on the field they can't remove, something crazy like that. Yeah, double digit errors. Get you some uh, skyline chili up there. Uh, Eastern time zones noon three well, and noon, that so right eleven off. two and eleven. He's not getting the chili. Yeah, he's not a big chili guy, apparently. I don't mind chili. Skyline um, chili is not chili. It's disgusting. That's, that's a true story right there. You better watch it. You will get slashed up there for saying something oh, like that. So I'm close enough to Cincinnati that... Oh, yeah, you're an hour. I, mean, if you, uh, I don't get the point of melting a Hershey bar in my chili, but that's just me. Do what? They put, they put chocolate, chocolate in their chili? No, it's yeah. cinnamon. It's cinnamon. It's cinnamon chili. That's worse. Kind of has like a, uh, and they put it on spaghetti. For God's sakes! Say so it looks more like manwich than chili, doesn't it? You can get a four-way on the spaghetti or a hot dog, as they call it, Cody. Five out of ten, very average. Mm. I'm a chili cheese dog kind of guy. Sports Talk Mississippi Tuesday afternoon. 
So let's review on the Major League Baseball draft Mississippi guys. This was as of the start of the show. Ethan Small was the first off the board. Pick number 28 to the Milwaukee Brewers. Slot value 2.49 smackaroos. 2.49 million. Matt Walner um, goes with a uh, sandwich pick at the uh, end of the first round. Um, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, 39 overall. Slot value for Matt Walner, 1.91 million. And he's headed home to Minnesota. Greg Kessinger is the 68th pick of the draft, round two pick by Houston, a little over 900000 for slot value. Uh, Jake Mangum, fourth round pick, number 118 overall to the Mets. And what was it, about four, about 400000 Isn't that right? I think that's what we talked about, Three ninety. The high fours, something like that. Okay, it was high fours. Um, Thomas Dillard, fifth round pick, 163 to Milwaukee. Will Etheridge, fifth round pick, 159 to Colorado. Cooper Johnson, pick 172, sixth round to Detroit. And if you look at Mississippi State's other guys, uh, Colby White has been drafted. We talked about him. That was right about the time the show was started, so about 3 o'clock today. Um, I've not seen any other... Mississippi State players come off the board. Have I missed one to this point? Rippy. I'm sorry, Borky. I'm sorry. Hey, Dad. Jeez. <laughs> it's like I'm at home. It's like, Francis, no, you're not Francis. Hey, Obi, whatever your name is, come here. Hey, Dad, have I missed anybody else for Mississippi State? Not that I've seen, other than a signee. Ethan Hearn was taken in the sixth round uh, by the Cubs. Uh, so at that, that spot, you would imagine that he will not be making his way to Starkville. Anybody else off the board that you've seen, Rippy, from Ole Miss? No, I think you covered it. Okay, so Zabowski's kind of the one that you're waiting on at this point? That and probably a couple signees. Have they reached the point where there's not a lot of danger in signees signing? Yes. Okay. Currently, we are in the, let's see here, in the ninth round. Ninth round. They are up to pick 269 at uh, this point. Nice. Yeah. What is the general cutoff range? Because as uh, you pointed out earlier in the show, the SEC and the Pac-12 dominated the first round. Uh, four-year colleges, Power Five colleges, dominated the early rounds. It's trending more and more that players that are on major league rosters went to a four-year college uh, that make the major leagues. So, at what point? Is the cutoff? Is it the third, fourth round? When do you decide if you're a high school player? I know everybody's circumstances are different. So generally speaking, when is the you should go no matter what, or it's a decision to make? What is that cutoff line? It's funny you ask that. We were um... depends on the kid's number and like how far he's willing to come off it. It really just varies situation to situation. I don't think there's a set line because like. I remember last year the Reds had a kid out of high school in like the fourth round, like $700,000, I think, somewhere around there. He was like, yeah, I'll sign. Just depends. We were talking about this at dinner last night, Borky. Um, 
Obi had his last baseball game. We were some friends. We were kind of sitting around eating pizza and um, talking about his upcoming contract. No, I, I just was. <laughs> I, I was watching the draft, and Bobby Witt Jr. had been drafted, and I said to Jane, "Can can you imagine if?" I just go ahead and tell you this isn't going to be the case. So, but we were just kind of like playing hypothetical. Can you imagine if twelve years from now, when Obi has just graduated high school, he's picked second overall, and he's got a seven point seven nine million dollar signing bonus at eighteen years old? We were kind of talking about how crazy it was, and another person that was with us go said. So would he go to college or play ball? And I just kind of I looked at her. I was like, "Oh no, no, no! That's yeah, that's college is all already always there. Eight million dollars when you're 18 years old." And then we kind of got to talking about okay, what's the what's the cutoff point? You know, if if you believe in college, and I think Rippy's point about it being different for different people. I mean, what's your family background? What's the expectation for education in your family? How important is that? Are you a person that does well in school or you just are miserable every time you go to school? How badly do you want to play baseball? How confident are you that you're going to get to the big leagues and all those things? I think all that stuff factors in. But kind of where we got it at at dinner last night was, I I think I said $1.8 probably the number where... That that would be like kind of the hanging in the balance number for me, for my son. Makes sense. That's the thing, though. If someone offers you one five, you're not taking it. Well, I mean, you you've got to draw a line somewhere and then stick to it, right? And 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 the thought the thought of one point eight was okay. After you pay an agent and you pay taxes, you're left with about a million dollars. Of that, I mean. A kid just got drafted and had a million dollars. So you got to, so that they're not resentful, you got to give them some money to just go blow. So, so how much is that? Is that a hundred thousand? Is it a couple of hundred thousand? Whatever. And then you take for an eighteen-year-old kid at a somewhere between eight hundred thousand and a million dollars, and you put it in a bank in the bank and it sits there. If you do it the right way, you set them up for the remainder of their life. Um. So to me, that's kind of why that number was there. What 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 do you think the number is, Borky? I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of why I asked the question. Uh, my best friend signed for is three hundred and seventy five k, and like you said, it's amazing how quickly that goes. Even if you make the right decision, I mean, he made the right financial decisions, but he bought himself a brand new truck. That was the first thing he did. But okay. then, I mean, then you got to pay for an apartment somewhere, and then you've got to do all of these things, and suddenly, because you're not earning anything in the minors, and, and he went to college, so this was, he got drafted out of college and, and played, so he, he didn't really have any other options to go to school, but it's amazing how quickly that money dries up. So from, from a $400,000 standpoint, in your mind, that sounds like so much, but when you're not earning anything else, and that's the only thing you can live off of while you're in the minors, because you don't make anything in the minors... Thousand bucks a month. It goes quickly. I mean, a thousand bucks a month. You're sharing an apartment with three other guys, so you know you're paying two hundred and fifty a month in rent, and you've got to eat, and you got clubhouse dues, and maybe there's a girlfriend, maybe there's not, and you're trying to do something along the way. In this case, there was a wife. 
And okay. So, I mean, you've got to go. help her, and yeah, it, it goes quickly. Hey, Dad, what would your number be? <laughs> Back in the day, growing up with not much in my in my our bank account, it probably would have been pretty low, to be totally yeah. honest with you. But but I mean, look at JT again. I mean, his number was what did they offer him two point five, and he walked away from that. So, I mean, it really does depend on the, you know, like Rippy said, it, it just goes situation to situation. And if it, especially in a case for, for Ginn, where he feels like I can go to college and show what I can do and maybe come back in a couple of years as a top 10 guy, then yeah, but I mean, at the same time, there's that risk. You know, there's the risk of you could get hurt and, and it never pans out. So it's, it's a very, very delicate game. All right. How about this from Spence on the C Spire text line? 601. 601- 879-4395. Spence is a graduate of Lloyd Star High School, small high school, graduated in 1999. So Spence, you and I are the same age. Spence is in Wesson. He says, I sure would like for you guys to mention this on the radio. James Beard has worked his tail off for the last two years, and today history was made at Lloyd Star High School. He's the first athlete ever drafted. Proud for James and what he represents for this great little 2A school that I'm proud to say I graduated from. That's really, really cool, Spence. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, Tony in Columbia says some of the kids that turn down money come from wealthy families. That's true. It's absolutely true. And in some of those situations, it's because of their family dynamic or the family situation growing up that they are able to turn down that money. There, there's some kids who are drafted that that's an opportunity for them to help their family or to help themselves, and they go play then. See, I just don't think there's a cut and dry, okay, this is the right answer and this is the wrong answer. And then you have some kids who gamble on themselves. You mentioned JT again just a second ago. Hey, Dad. Turn down what? Two million bucks? Give or take? Yeah, some, a little bit more, yeah. Two, two and a half million dollars. He took a bet on himself. Or he made a bet on himself. And the bet was, okay, I'm number 28 coming out of high school in the first round. I'm about to go pitch at Mississippi State for two years. And I'm going to improve my draft stock. I'm going to bet on myself. And I think I'm going to be a top 10 pick two years from now. And that's the difference in having two million dollars and five million dollars. Plus, I got a couple of years toward a degree. It's not a bad call. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. All right, so Borky, through the first two rounds of the draft, obviously we're deeper than that at this point, but through, through the first two rounds, first 78 picks, over half, a little bit, 40 of 78 players drafted were not only from four-year schools, but were from Power 5 conferences. 13 Pac-12 players, 13 SEC players, Six from the Big 12, five from the ACC, and three from the Big 10. The draft is changing. I'm fascinated by it as well, and you guys would know better than me. I'm obviously not the resident baseball expert here, but it has always fascinated me the number of high school kids that they take, especially arms as well. But the trend, I mean, since I started paying attention many years ago to now has, has shifted. There are more four-year guys in the majors now than there was, say, 10 years ago, and there are fewer high school kids getting drafted, at least in the early rounds, now than, say, again, 10 years ago. 
what I can't figure out, at least from thinking, is why that is. Why is it going this way? Is there a maturity factor or is there something else? I think more and more people are realizing that four years in single-A baseball is a terrible life. Like, get whatever you can get in your signing bonus, and now you're traveling on cramped buses with people, some of whom are like you and some of whom are not at all like you and may or may not speak the same language you speak. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying it's hard. Especially for an 18-year-old. You're playing in bad stadiums that are empty, and you're living out of a suitcase for half the year, and you're looking for a job in the offseason to keep you going for the other half of the year when you're not playing ball, or you're playing in Arizona in the instructional leagues for a couple of months, and you're it's just a hard life. And there's no guarantee that you're going anywhere with it, other than to say you played pro ball out of high school. Whereas and only 60% of what first round picks make the bigs 60% of first rounders yeah make the bigs so you're a seventh round kid at a high school that signs for 250,000 bucks whatever no yeah i'm just saying not many of those probably and then don't necessarily do the smartest things with your money and ride on a bus through you know west peoria for six months out of the year, that's a hard life. Versus, you go to school at Arkansas, or LSU, or Mississippi State, or Ole Miss, or Georgia, or Vanderbilt, or Auburn, or Florida. When you travel, I mean, at this point in the SEC, when you've got a road trip that's more than about six or seven hours, you're not getting on a bus. The only bus you're getting on is the one that leaves the stadium and takes you to the airport where you get on a charter plane and you fly in and you sleep two to a room, not four to a room, in a pretty nice hotel and you get meals while you're there and you get per diem and you have a life outside of baseball while you're in college and you're making progress toward a degree and you're playing in a stadium that's nicer and you're working out in a weight room that's nicer and you've got nutritional help, and it's a pretty good life. And oh, by the way, on top of that, you're playing in front of 5,000 people a game, or 10,000 a game, or whatever the number is. But there are also people that probably don't need to go to college. Absolutely. Bryce Harper... Even though he did the, he did the JUCO, Juco thing, thing for a year. Still, yeah. Bobby Witt Jr. did not need to go to college. He's big league ready in a year and a half, and he just got eight million dollars, or he's about to get eight million dollars. So, so yeah, I mean, there are exceptions to to everything. Does any of that make sense? You you buy into any of that? I buy into all of it. I mean, yeah. Okay. The, one thing I, I've always believed about everything is that there's no there's no one answer for everybody. Everybody has to find their own way in this world. 
And there are some people who are, you know, perfectly content to live that minor league lifestyle until the call to the big comes. And there are those who, who you know, they want to try the college route. Whatever works for you, just do it. You know, don't don't let what other people think and what other people say influence your own decisions. There are also people that quote unquote have to or need to because their financial situation. Like, yeah, some people need to take the nine hundred thousand dollars or eight hundred thousand dollars. Absolutely, go give it a shot. Even if it does get whittled down by taxes and whatever else, I'm I'm completely with you. But yeah. to your point, college is probably the best place to go if you have the ability to do so. I mean, barring like a, you know. And the numbers now bear out that college players get to the big leagues more often and faster than high school guys that go in the draft. Two hours in the book, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. College Football Fix is coming your way next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. One day closer closer to the start of Super Regional play. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, Jake Gotro joins us, assistant baseball coach at Mississippi State. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Coach, congratulations, Super Regional, fun time of the year. No doubt about it. Thank you guys very much, uh, and thanks for having me today. I guess you can call it a little, little pinch. For Coach Lamonis today, but um, it is best time of year. Uh, the boys are happy to be out of school and just playing baseball, and uh, we're getting close to trying to get where we're going. Well, it's good though. I mean, I, I told you last time we visited, I, you were probably more entertaining than Coach Lamonis anyway. So we're glad to have you back. <laughs> well, we all know that. We all know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. So, all right. No, all kidding aside. Here, we we really need to know. What you did, what drills you pulled out, what you said to get Jake Mangum out of the massive slump that he was in. <laughs> oh, everybody's taking credit for it. We get, we got coach, uh, we got Raj giving him a bat to sleep with the night before. Jalen is giving him a, a bucket of live chicken. Um, in all honesty, he wait, he got a bucket no, of live chickens? Not live chicken. Excuse me, it's not live chicken. Um, oh. KFC chicken or whatever it was. But oh, uh, okay, yeah, we didn't sacrifice a live chicken. That may have worked though. Um, but you know what? I've become really close to Jake, um, just like you know we do with all the kids. And I called him in my office and just told him why he was special. You know, and it, forget about the ability, the talent, the the hitter in him. I talked about the attitude, um, not so much the arrogance, but the confidence and just the will to win, the will to step in the box and just beat you. And since I've been here, that's all he does. He just steps in the box and he beats the guy on the mound. And I think he was starting to think a little bit too much. And when I show, I put things on paper, when I showed it to him, I said, are you doing any of these things right now? You know, he kind of looked at me. And so I challenged him to just be Jake. And he went out there that night. Not that I was swinging the bat for him by any means, but he went out there that night. And I think he just kind of pushed it to the side and went out there and competed like he has for four years here and had a good night for us. You mentioned two words and then kind of corrected yourself. But I think it's an interesting line there between arrogance and confidence. And I'm not so sure that with elite players, a little bit of arrogance isn't a good thing. What, what no is doubt. that line between those those two traits that, that people kind of dance around sometimes? You know, if, if you have a little bit of arrogance, but you respect the game and you respect your opponent, I think it's okay. I think the arrogance piece, if, if you don't quite respect the game or respect your opponent, then it kind of, you know, it'll kind of get out of control on you and, and people will think of you in a little bit more of a, a negative way, I guess. But with him, there is. There's a ton of confidence. Um, and I, 
I can't say that it's arrogance. I, I thought I used the wrong term, but you get what I'm saying. He's just yeah. He's got some uh, he's got some swag about him out there, and and if you take that away from him, you know he he's not who he is. So I think you saw a little bit of that in Game Three for sure. Just Jake being Jake of old. All right, so the the draft rolls along. He jumps like 28 rounds from where he was a year ago, which is interesting kind of in a senior year because people talk all the time about, you know, lack of leverage when you're drafted as a senior. Maybe that matters a little bit on a money on the money side, but what 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 what's different about him 365 days later? Because my thought is nothing probably is that much different and yet he has that kind of a jump the Mets take him in the 4th round. No, that well for me there's nothing different. What I've seen being with him for two years, I tell everybody I could coach for twenty more years and, and never have another one like him. And like I said, the talent piece whenever people people show up and they see him perform, you see the swing, you see the ability. That's not even what I'm talking about. It is the competitive nature, um, the will to win. I've never seen anything like it. The way he prepares every single day. Um, but what changed for Major League Baseball? Who knows? You know, the draft is one of those deals. It can be really challenging to figure out. You'll see guys go real high, and you don't understand why they went high. You'll see guys not get taken or go late, and don't understand that piece either. Um, you know, they talked about power for Jake throughout his career here, things like that. But Jake doesn't have for power. He has some power in there, and if he wants to get to his power, he probably can in Pro Bowl. Um, but I think finally somebody said, you know what, no matter where he's been, whether it's been Mississippi State and the SEC, he's always been the best. He goes to Cape Cod and he leads the, the, the league in average or in hits. No matter where he's been, he's proven to be the best, and somebody obviously acknowledged that today and gave him a great opportunity, and I'm just really, really happy for him. Hey, Coach, it's Brian. Hey, Dad. You know, you talk about Jake, and he just came out of this slump. You had a couple of guys a month or so ago that were slumping, and Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen, but now they've completely turned it around, especially Rowdy Jordan last week as the uh, regional MVP. What's What's been different for them the past you know few weeks that they've gotten on this hot streak? Their brain. <laughs> and most of the time, that's what it is, guys. You know, like, once we start to scuffle, we want to change our stance, or we want to really, really try to get in the cage and, and work through some things. A lot of times it could be a really small tinker with their setup or their swing. And there was. There was a really small uh, change with both those guys. But for the most part, just just kind of giving them a clear mind and some confidence. Um, and, and once they got it rolling again, then obviously they haven't stopped. I'm not going to worry. I don't plan on them stopping anytime soon. But that's what's scary is those guys are going and, and – Jake's back. I can tell you right now he's back without even playing our, our first game of the Super yet. Um, Westberg had a really good weekend for us. Um, so if you can get all these guys rolling, you know, you never, it's never realistic to have them all rolling one through nine. But if we can get seven, eight of those guys clicking, clicking on all cylinders, it's, um, it's exciting. Jake, your career path is, is a little unique to me. You know, player, pro player, an agent for a while, an assistant coach for a while, then you make another move to assistant coach. I'm just kind of thinking about that time when when you worked with Scott Boris, um, what these three days must have been like in, in that time when you were an agent. Rounds one and two last night, what, three through ten today, and then 11 through 40. And you got so many guys that that's future is hanging in the balance. No doubt. Um, usually you fly out to Newport Beach, California. You're in the draft room for about six days prior to the first day of the draft, the first round, and, and preparing. The company's preparing for each and every player. 
you know, with that, that was a unique situation there. Usually it's the, the top-end guy, the first-round pick. Every once in a while you'll have somebody that's not in the first round. But um, you're just trying to collect as much information and, and data in regards to what teams are interested in that certain player and find the best fit. Um, I learned a lot as a as a player in pro ball going through the draft out of college and then going through professional baseball. I learned plenty on my own. And then to be able to, I guess, kind of work on the business side a little bit, I continue to learn, learn things as well. So it was a great experience. They're really, really good people. Um, I learned a lot while I was there. And it does. It benefits us here um, because there was things that I learned while I was there that, that we can use every day here, whether it's in recruiting or the draft and things like that. Sometimes the most valuable piece is just being able to help our own kids here that may not have um, some kind of person to lean on. Um, we can give them good information and help them make an educated decision. What is Scott Morris like? Because for, for a lot of people, they hear that name and they think he's like this evil guy. Because <laughs> usually people don't talk about Scott Morris in a terribly positive way unless he represents you. Right. It's pretty simple. He's brilliant, um, but he has the ability to to be a chameleon and, and come down to my level because he's on a different level than me. But when I first met him, it was my interview. And I started to say, you know what, I thought you were going to be, and, and he stopped, and, and uh, to be to be clean here, he'll say, you thought I was going to be a bad guy. And I said, yeah. And he laughed, and he said, well, if I go to my, gra- my grave and people are mad at me because I did too good of work for my players and their families, then I think my job is done here. And so that was a pretty good point. He fights for his players and their families and does a great job. Um, and once you get to know him, besides being brilliant and having a lot of power in the game, he's just a normal normal guy. He was a baseball player, um, normal dude, and he treats his pe- treats the people that work for him very, very, very well, very loyal. It's very cool. Hey, we got about a minute left. I guess uh, I'd love to hear draft stories and agent stories all day, but probably should ask you about Stanford's pitching staff and and what you're going to face this weekend. Kind of what the approach is going into uh, into this super regional, trying to win two and get to Omaha. Um, we're going to be us. I think you guys probably hear Coach Lim talk about just being us and, and playing good baseball, playing our brand of baseball. Uh, I think they're probably going to go right, left, right. Games one, two, and three. We've been watching a lot of video today, before and after practice. Stanford, Stanford. They've been good for a long time. Um, they're going to have really good starters. They're a little more offensive in regards to the long ball and physicality than they've been in a while. And they always play good fundamental defense. So they're a great club coming in. Um, it's going to be a great challenge. We're going to have to earn it. But our boys have been earning it all year, and so um, I like where our team's at as well. It's still weird looking out and seeing Stanford with jerseys that button and shoes that aren't Mizuno. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. The last time I was in the field with them was the um, 01 College World Series, and that's exactly what they were wearing. Yep. There you go. Jake, really appreciate your time. Wish you all the best this weekend. know it's going to be a great atmosphere and a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. Hell State. Have a good day. Jake Gotro, assistant coach at Mississippi State. Really a unique career path. How about a guy that played for Team USA, spent seven years in professional baseball, uh, made it to the bigs with, uh, with the Padres, and or I guess we was Padres organization, the Indians, the Mets. Gets out of baseball, goes to work for Scott Boris. Gets back into baseball as an assistant coach at uh, at Tulane. Had some really good players in the time that he was at Tulane, and made the transition to Mississippi State. And if you think there's any doubt whatsoever that in the relatively near future Scott uh, Jake Gotro is going to be a head baseball coach somewhere, 
Let me just go ahead and erase that for you today. It's going to happen. It's going to be a good one when he gets the opportunity. Sports Talk Mississippi, fun conversation with Jake Otro on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. They're just jumping in Lane Stadium right now. You feel it? See it? Virginia Tech home game? Sports Talk Mississippi, Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help if you are in North Mississippi. Maybe you need to buy a piece of property. It's going to be recreational in nature. Spot's got a little pond on it. You're going to have your own fishing hole. Uh, maybe you want a spot where you can turkey hunt in the spring, you can deer hunt in the fall. Um, I don't know. Maybe you even get some ducks on there. Uh, occasionally you can find that in North Mississippi. If you get over to the Mississippi Delta, you can find it all over the place. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help with that. They've been financing all kinds of land, whether it's farmland, recreational land, or just a piece of property in the country where you're going to build a dream home. They've been doing that for over 100 years. You can find great people at all of the branch locations of Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Vorky, you ready for a little college football fix? I'll take that as a yes. College football fix driven by Ford, your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Good incentives right now. You can find out about them at uh, buyfordnow.com. And uh, remember, if you are a military or first responder, part of the military, or you're a first responder, extra savings on top of the current incentives now through the 4th of July. Ford's way of saying thank you for serving. Updated 2020 national title odds. We're going to play the game this way. I am going to give you two $100 bills, crisp Reese Davis style on college game day. I hand you two crisp $100 bills. We'll just pretend that we are at the uh, timeout lounge, the sports book at uh, Pearl River. And um, you get to bet on two teams to win the national championship. Looking at the current futures odds to win a national championship, where are you investing? Those two $100 bills. You can have two picks. I'll give you a sample of some of these lines. Alabama and Clemson have got the best odds 9 to 4, so that's 2.25 to 1. Georgia comes in at 6 to 1, Michigan at 12 to 1, Ohio State at 14 to 1, Oklahoma 16 to 1, LSU 20 to 1, Auburn at 30 to 1. Mm, okay. No. Florida, Oregon, Washington at 40 to 1. Uh, I'm sorry, Florida and Oregon at 40 to one. Washington, Notre Dame, A and M, and Utah, all with uh, longer odds. Mississippi State 100 to one, part of a big group at 100 to one. Borky, you go first. Two crisp $100 bills. What are the two teams you're putting the money on? Uh, one is going to be Clemson just because I actually think that they are going to win the national championship. I think it's going to be the best team in the country with the best quarterback in the country. But with a good value pick, even though it's still, what, one, two, three, four, the fifth 
highest favorite. I think Ohio State might have a chance to really surprise some people. They're not getting a whole lot of love, surprisingly, going into this year. But uh, even with the transition to Ryan Day, the new coach, I mean, they have Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins is a running back you may have never heard of. Heisman caliber running back. And their front seven has five veterans on it. So they should be really good up front on defense. They have one of the best running backs in the country and a guy who presumably, at least in limited action, showed why he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school. It's a program that's set up for success to Big Ten that is not particularly good, so their path is a little bit easier to the college football playoff as opposed to, say, a Georgia. Value pick Ohio State, who I think is the best team in the country going to win, Clemson. All right, so your $100 bill on Clemson has a chance to turn into 225 Your $100 bill on Ohio State has a chance to turn into $1,400. Um, Rippy, who do you like? Um, well, I hate to spoil the entire college football season, but I'm going to bet on Alabama and Clemson because that's what the national title is going to be, and the playoff is going to be some combination of Georgia, Oklahoma, or Ohio State. So you're going to net... $25 out of this one way or the other. Nice. <laughs> that is exactly what it's going to be. Way to like go out on a limb there, There's bud. literally one sport on earth less predictable than the NBA, and I think it's college football. Hey, Dad, do you have a more entertaining answer, or are you going to uh, go the $25 route also? <laughs> um, I'm going to sort of go to the Borky right here. I, I would put the money on 100 on Clemson because that's probably going to be the winner, I would imagine. Um the next one that, that's intriguing to me, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, that there could be this weird scenario that LSU is uh, well, a one-loss no, LSU team. No, that's mine. Nah, I'm taking them. Taking the Tigers at 20-1. to 1. That's good Might value. I like that on fire. And I'm a coach like defender. Are you? You, yeah. you and him have a lot in common. Love of Red Bull. Yeah, we do. Loose grasp of the English language. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot in common. Another value pick randomly, Oregon. Yeah. Why? At 40 to 1. Because of Justin Herbert? Because of a good quarterback and a weak pack 12. I mean, if we're talking from a gambling sense, not from a, I think they're going to win the national title, but if you get 40 to 1 odds, you know, drop 50 bucks on that right there, and it may work, it may not, but at least they have a chance to make the playoff in what is going to be a down pack 12 with, by and large, the best quarterback and probably even the best roster in the league okay um i really liked where Haydad was headed with the uh, lsu at 20 to 1 but since he took that pick i'm not going to replicate it i'll go texas at 25 to 1 i don't really believe in texas but they've got they a tough back. as they've got a tough as nails quarterback they play in the big 12 I think they're actually going to have a little bit of defense, which is somewhat of an anomaly in the uh, in the Big 12. And if they beat LSU in Week 2, they've got a huge win on their resume that might even allow them to be in the top four when um, it, with, with one loss at the end of the season. If that's the only loss on the schedule for Texas, they could be a college football playoff team. And, yeah, I know Georgia didn't really want to be there last year but Texas beat the brakes off of Georgia that's a talented team yeah so I'll take a flyer on Texas at 25 to 1 
And is Oklahoma at sixteen to one crazy with with kind of the same mindset of Big Twelve? And I don't think Oklahoma too. They're probably going undefeated in the regular season if they beat Texas. Well, I'll buy all of you broke people fast food with the twenty five bucks I win. Okay. <laughs> None of us picked Georgia, who is probably the third best team and the best value of the three teams you, you really think are gonna make it. Yeah, Georgia's probably the that's probably a pretty good play. I just like the idea of turning that hundred dollar bill into twenty five hundred well, with yeah. Texas. That's that's why those buildings out there in Vegas are so big. You and everybody else has those dreams. So, so blingy. So, how is Florida State one hundred to one? That's and it, that's a that's a crime before God and man. I mean, how how is that not a thousand to one or ten thousand to one? It should be a hundred to one on them having a winning season. <laughs> that might be a little aggressive. A hundred to one on them though. not getting their quarterback killed before week eight. Let me hop on both of those. Then I'll really buy y'all some food. Nice food. Um, steak? You said that with such hope in your voice. Sure, steak. I like steak. What can I say? Uh, how is Mississippi State on the board at 100 to 1? Well, I mean, I'll take Mississippi State before I take Florida State. Easily. We're talking uh, about yeah. to win a national championship. Well, I, Okay. Look who they're grouped with. Florida though. State. I mean, it's the same. What's, what's Auburn? I'd be interested to see that. Is Auburn's odds in front or behind Mississippi State? Thirty to one. Thirty to one. Oh, I and they've dropped like... somehow since January. What What happened at Auburn? Something happened in the spring game that made you think, "Oh well, man, never mind." They're hey, actually they had good. extra prayer circles this year. Bo Nix, the attendance of that spring game. Does anybody know? <laughs> yeah, I know one guy that knows. Same. <laughs> Just hit him up on the old Twitter.com. I can't. He blocked me. Oh! You got blocked oh for that yesterday? Gosh. I got blocked for that yesterday. Oh. So Brandon Marcello comes with a strong take on me saying something about attendance. Borky comes off the top rope with screenshots of him talking about Auburn spring game attendance. And you got blocked for it? Got what blocked a miserable for human being. That's the only interaction we've ever had, and I got blocked for it. Oh, he got a real chap dropping F-bombs and such. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Some kind of a bum piece of news earlier today. Um, Frank Reich, the coach at uh, Indianapolis, mentioned, I guess it was in a media availability, that uh, rookie center Javon Patterson, who was drafted in the seventh round, I think, um, tore his ACL in uh, in practice yesterday, or maybe it was earlier uh, in the week, um, and is out for the year. And that's a guy that, I mean, he had the the bumps and bruises that everybody has, but basically stayed healthy for the his entire career at Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, when you think of like how Ole Miss was kind of fortunate through a lot of bad things to have consistency on the offensive line, I mean, it's guys like him and Givens and Rawlings were there, played a lot of football together for a long time. Uh, Durante Bolden was another one that kind of did a lot of different things. Um, he was a, graduated a year before, but yeah, tough news. Yeah, yeah, I hate that. I mean, Javon Patterson was, I mean, he was a kid loosely here, but 
was a good kid. He was involved in a lot of different stuff away from the football field, kind of on campus and in various leadership roles. And and we've seen this before where guys get to the NFL and have an injury and end up losing their first season. You don't know what the career is going to be like. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a flyer when an offensive lineman goes in the seventh round, but sometimes you see offensive linemen that go late in the draft end up with uh, with long careers, and you hope that turns out to be the case, but that's uh, kind of a bum deal for uh, for Javon Patterson. Um, let's circle back to the Jerry and Ely conversation. It's a guy that was uh, out of Jackson that was projected to be, at one point was projected to be drafted in the first round of the baseball draft and was also a really highly thought-of football player. Committed to Ole Miss in football, decommitted late in the process, took a couple of visits, Clemson among them, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because there's the whole deal where if you're committed to another school, Dabo Sweeney doesn't let you take an official visit, isn't that correct? Yes, yeah. Um, but then ultimately ended up signing with Ole Miss. And we said it here, and others all over the place said it. Highly unlikely that Jerry and Ely ever made it to campus because of his draft status in baseball. Because if he had been a first-round pick, you're looking at a couple of million dollars, depending on how high in the first round, you know, upwards of that. I mean, in the four, five, six million dollar range, depending on how high he had, uh, had ultimately gone. Draft stock fell throughout the season, did not have a great senior year on the baseball diamond. And Borky, you've told us for a while that there have been rumblings in and around Jackson that it was looking more and more like he was going to play football at, at Ole Miss. Yeah. And we were all just kind of in a wait-and-see mode. Yeah, There were, and maybe that came with uh, some non-public information about a, a potential draft fall. I don't know, but it... it you know, you started hearing things a few weeks ago, and then they became louder and louder, so maybe... There was an anticipation of what was kind of a free fall in the draft today, but either way, you know, it's a pretty big deal, isn't it? It kind of changes the entire way you look at that recruiting class because I remember on signing day, it was top 25 class, good recovery after two postseason bans and still on probation. And, you know, they, they went five and seven. So it was a good recovery class, but there was always that caveat if he shows up. Well, and now he and it, is. It, it looks as if he is indeed going to, barring something crazy happening with the draft, somebody drafting him late, but then offering him, you know, a lot more money than anybody anticipates. That just doesn't happen as much with the way the draft is slotted now. You're talking about a five star running back that had offers from Alabama, Clemson, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, etc. Signs with Ole Miss. And that's a position where Ole Miss has not been able to grab a big-time player. They've had a lot of success recruiting quarterbacks. They've had success recruiting offensive linemen. Had some success with defensive backs along the way. But have, over the last, I don't know, five to ten years, generally speaking, missed on linebackers and running backs. I'm, I'm talking very generally. I'm painting with a, a big brush here. What does it mean for Ole Miss to get a five-star running back in an offense where Rich Rodriguez is going to be calling the plays? It's a big deal. I mean, that's a game-changer immediately. 
um, for a lot of different reasons. So between he and Scotty Phillips, that'll probably be one of the better backfields in the SEC. What remains to be seen is what kind of offensive line will they be running behind? Because that's a big kicker here. Because that's probably the single area of con- like most concern. That was terribly worded. But if you don't have an offensive line, it's going to be tough sledding. So it's a big deal, particularly, in, like you mentioned, in Rich Rod's system where he likes to run the football. That is a significant get. Um, so now if they can kind of piece together a, an offensive line that produces it anywhere near the level they have the last couple of years, and there's going to be some drop-off when you lose that many guys, it's it's significant. You know what's kind of crazy? Looking at the, the 24-7 sports kind of recruiting database, looking at the guys who were recruiting him. At Auburn, you had Marcus Woodson, great reputation as a recruiter. At Mississippi State, Charles Huff. Isn't he kind of considered to be the best recruiter on the staff for Mississippi State? He was, and then he went to Alabama. So that changed things. <laughs> Tony Elliott was recruiting him at Clemson. That whole staff recruits like crazy. Yeah. Alabama, you had Pete Golding. who was on the defensive side, but had ties to Mississippi. Joe Panunzio. Did Panunzio leave Alabama? I yes, can't remember. That's, that, that's who Charles Huff, he was the running backs coach, right? Okay. That's it. That's it. Sounds like we're going back through a list of Ole Miss's coordinator candidates. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> and then you had Derek Nix and Matt Luke who were recruiting him at Ole Miss. That's a pretty impressive group of recruiters that were trying to convince him to come play for them and their schools. I imagine Rich Rodriguez and uh, Matt Luke are having a pretty good day. I would think so. So it may change the way the recruiting class looks. Does it change results on the field? Oh, yeah. Well, like immediately in win-loss totals this year, I don't know. I don't really know how to quantify that. But if you're talking about over the next three to four years when he's here, absolutely. It's a five-star running back. I wonder how the carries get distributed this year with Scotty Phillips on the roster, who was on his way to a 1,000-yard season a year ago before the late injury. Well, it probably helps your like depth. I mean, this is very obvious, but depth more than anything because, like, after Scotty Phillips and Isaiah Ward this year, you're talking about Devon Penniman, who hasn't played in a game in like a year, almost, I mean, a year and a half. So and who knows what it'll be like after that brutal injury? Exactly, and so you probably get. I mean, presumably Willard is squeezed out of carries here, but it's if he's your third back, that's a pretty decent position to be in. And that's what's and fascinating. He's a guy who can Go play elsewhere, right? He's a guy that I mean, got the, the skill set to maybe get out in the slot and and run some sets for him out there. Possibly. Yeah, they have some interesting offensive pieces, like between that and Tyler Knight, and then a couple of the younger receivers. There's obviously more than likely going to be a drop-off at receiver when you lose three guys of that caliber, but there, there's some intriguing offensive pieces. It'll be interesting to watch, if nothing else. And there will be significantly more two-back sets under Rich Rodriguez than there was... Uh, under Phil Longo, they'll probably run more two-back sets in the first game against Memphis than almost did in the last two years. And they'll use those backs, especially catching the ball out of the backfield. It, it is a very um, get-your-playmakers-the-ball-in-space, not chasing space, but like getting your playmakers into space and then getting them the football kind of offense. And uh, so I'm fascinated to see the the not only the distribution, but exactly how they are used just from a play-to-play standpoint. Because... That offense is so 
different than what you're used to seeing. It's the, the the straight handoff game will still happen, but it's not that simple because they will use multiple backs and multiple sets, a lot of motion, that kind of stuff. It is a very fascinating offense to watch, especially in the running game. Probably run some routes too. Yeah, maybe so. Probably put Who one is, or two in there. Hey, Dad, who's the most important player on the offensive side of the ball for Mississippi State this year? Kylan Hill. No, 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 I don't even hesitate answering that question. That's the guy that needs to touch the ball the most. Is he going to be allowed to? That's a great question. And if I had the that's answer to that, a reasonable would, question. It's a very reasonable question. I mean, it's, it, it's part funny and part serious. Uh, and if I knew the answer to it, I might be able to adjust my prediction for Mississippi State a little more uh, than I have it right now. Uh, if he gets the ball 20-plus times a game, all good. Less than that, might struggle the way they did last year. And actually, in all seriousness, what if, if he does it and it's not any different, then what does that tell you big picture about, I guess, the staff? That there's a problem and that year three is probably going to be make or break in, in terms of Joe Moorhead's uh, tenure. Fair enough. Who's the most important offensive player for Ole Miss next year? If I'm not going to collectively say the offensive line, I think it's probably Matt Corral. Quarterback play.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.